Joe presents Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, together with Guinness. Hello and welcome to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby. It's here on Joe, it's together with Guinness and it's season two. We've had a nice break, but we're very excited about the rugby that's in store for us. There's a lot's changed since we premiered in September 2018. Boris Johnson's Prime Minister, Brexit's still pending, Game of Thrones is over, Stranger Things is back, Leinster have won another league title, Ireland play their first World Cup warm-up this weekend, and Greg O'Shea is champion of Love Island. First, we've got some even bigger news to the eagle-eyed viewer, the eagle-eyed viewer or listener. You'll notice that I'm in the wrong seat, diligently fulfilling Baz's professional introduction chores. No, we haven't killed off Ned Stark at the end of season one. We've got some great news for you, and the best way to share it is from a little bit of poetry from the wordsmith himself. The poem is entitled Labour Ward. Voices chatter, aircon hums, as I sit here twiddling my thumbs. 2am and the floor is yours, the curtains raise, heart rate soars. In the coming minutes, we'll see your faces, skin on skin, with my two little bassists. Are you ready? Ready as you'll ever be. My hands are ready. Palms are sanitized. I wish that you could see your mother being pleasant, being present, holding court with silly comments, sciatic nerves, and the midwife tea breaks. Life is good. Life is honest. It is what it is, and what it is, is Baby A and Baby B, whom I've loved since hearing those words. This one here is a little boy, and this one here is a little girl. So you probably worked it out by now, but Barry can't come to work today because he's sick. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Um, massive congratulations to Barry and Orla. Everybody at Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby is delighted. Um, let's see how poetic you're feeling in six months whenever you haven't slept. It's not all sweetness and light having kids. They do your tits in after a while. <laughs> Anyway, it's going to have a knock-on effect, I think, the arrival of the twins. Um, there's going to be extra, extra responsibility in Baz's life. We can expect him to watch no rugby, spend no time with any friends, have no crack, be knackered all the time, and generally be way less interesting. Um, so, as a result, Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby have brought in reinforcements of a very high standard uh, in the form of Jerry Flannery, um, is joining me on the sofa. Uh, it's impressive, Trim. It's very impressive. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt like you were talking for an hour. Though. I know. I, I kind of felt like I could have left and come yeah. back. Chat away there. <laughs> I'm done. That yeah, was very impressive. Congratulations. Very Thanks enormous. a lot. Yeah, that was... Um, I'm on holidays at the minute in Westport and it was a three-hour train uh, trip and I pretty much just wrote that on the train for three hours. Rehearsed it over and over. Yeah, and still, still botched it once uh, or twice. It was long, man. It was, it was uh, a lot of detail put in there. I anyway, it was enough about me. Um, so you're part of the team now. Yes, it's great to have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's pity we did all this planning in the off season, and yeah. then the first show, and Baz goes off, and his missus has two babies, so yeah. he's not here. But well, we planned actually, we planned a lot of changes around the set as well, and what we've done is just gone from that corner to this corner. <laughs> It's the same brick wall, same picture of uh, Donaga standing out of line. Yeah. Same sofas. So I've been admiring it all while you've been talking for the last 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking it all in. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're not just with House of Rugby, though. You're with, with Joe in general, contributing to rugby content. Yeah. So when I stepped out coaching, I've come back and I'm bored now with, um, with Joe 
and obviously rugby is probably the first place where I can try and get get in the mix there. So jumping in with yourself and Baz, maybe going across and guesting a couple of times on the House of Rugby in the UK and then just looking to get involved and I suppose developing the rugby content that we have across yeah. across all the channels. You um you were a you're a shareholder with Joe, is that right? Yes. So you, have you always been had a connection then with Joe? Have you done stuff in the past, or have you always had an interest in getting into? Not, uh, we're not journalists, but have you interest in getting into kind of punditry or creating content? I think I think it's. I when I say I always had a, an interest in it, like I felt that we, when I was playing, we felt there was a space for something like this, for something like Joe. Um, but that was ten years ago, and then when I retired, then I got involved and I wrote a few articles. I wrote like 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 blogs or something like that, you know, like or just just <coughs> just generally on. They were kind of taking the piss a bit, um, but uh, then I was probably back in coaching, and there's no real time to or anything else. So now I'm back in. I'm I'm out of rugby now for for the for the foreseeable future. I would like to get back to get coaching, but I think that this is a good way for me to kind of keep satisfying that rugby buzz, and I've been watching. A lot of games, uh, watching the the rugby championship, watching some of the Pacific Nations Cup as well, and but I don't know till the end of the year whether I'm gonna whether I can do without rugby, you know, doing yeah. it full time. So it's a, t- it's a little bit of a test. Yes, test yourself. So far, it's going okay. Yeah, and a little bit more time then. Obviously, coaching's intense, like weekends and long hours. <clears throat> a bit more time in your hands now to hang out with the kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was chatting to Felix about it. And all of the things, it's it's a really intense job, uh, time, time-wise time commitment. But all of the things that, like, when you're kind of, when you feel like the water's up to here and you're just trying to keep your head above and all of the things that you'd like it to be when you're not coaching are there in terms of, like, getting to bring the kids to crash more often and spending more time with your family. But there's always this kind of, like, weird kind of guilt then that you're like, oh... You know, I should be, I should be working. I, I, I think that's the same when you're playing to when you're coaching. Rugby's so structured that you know where you are for the whole twelve months of the yeah. year, pretty much. You know, <clears throat> and uh, that's 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 the biggest challenge I think when you come out of it. That was the one thing I hated. Not, I didn't hate it, but it was it was a frustration whenever I was playing. Just the structure and not being allowed to create your own schedule and kind of do what you want. Really, I find that. You sure, how how would that work? You, you you couldn't have like I'm not I'm not arguing. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, sorry, Joe. I'm going to train at two o'clock instead. That's not what I'm saying. I've organised uh, a meeting Anna at like yeah. half twelve. I just can't make it, Joe. Sorry. Um, yeah, but <coughs> yeah, but it's it's like it's because you have that structure for so long from when you're playing underage rugby and, and academies into 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 senior and international. That when you come out of it, then you just realise, geez, that was the, there's there's pluses and minuses to it. But uh, is it not less structured as a coach? Because you can you can do your video analysis, you can do your prep for the sessions all in your own time. That's all more flexible. Obviously, you got to be there to execute. Um, I don't know if it's because there's a set week which runs concurrent with the player's set week, and then outside of that, you've got to get your work done as well. So, like if a if a coach my normal week when I was coaching at Munster would be I'd get up at half five on a on a Monday and make your breakfast and then get into work for about quarter past six. Um, and then I'd train in the gym there for like 40 minutes. <clears throat> and then we'd have coaches meetings from seven. 
and I just have my breakfast and the coaches meeting. And then you have a full run of the day until generally around six o'clock. And then that, that would be replicated for a Tuesday. A Wednesday is a day off where you start like and, and in the in the generally when the session finishes on a Monday and Tuesday, I would review the session, then you go and watch games of the opposition that you're gonna play the following week to try yeah. and just to try and ease up the workload. And I'm yeah. conscious that I probably spent long because uh, I don't know, I think I think the longer you spend coaching, the better you get at, at refining your work process, your flow. Wednesday was a day off and I generally do the opposition's uh, their attacking lineouts and on that day and spend a bit of time with the family. And then on the <coughs> Thursday would be a replica of, of Monday, Tuesday, get out at around six. And then you generally have three games watched of the opposition and their, their attacking lineout done by the... Um, by Thursday afternoon and all your sessions reviewed and then if you've got if you if you're traveling then on a Friday it's get to the airport um, and then working all the way then you'd start working on their on their on their scrums have a look at their restarts and uh, this is for the following week sorry for the following week yeah, yeah. and you're, you're it's when I I remember I used to get on the bus when I was a player and I'd see the coaches with the laptops out straight away after the game and I said yeah. oh man these guys are fucking nerds yeah man. get a life but they're just it's trying to when you're away, it's trying to get all your, <coughs> as much of your work done as you can so that when you get home to your family, you're not taking the laptop out. Yeah. And um, so then you'd work all day Friday and then Saturday morning, we'd have, we used, we used all the coaches with Munster, um, myself, Felix, Johan, JP, uh, Damien Morden, some of the physios, we'd go for a run and then we'd source this, un, we, uh, we'd, I'd try and find somewhere to go for breakfast because the breakfast in hotels is generally pretty shit. Yeah, I hooked know? you up in Belfast, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah. What was that called? Just just uh, coffee or no established established coffee. Yeah, yeah it was good. It was good. Yeah. And um, and then play the game or do your do your attack lineup menu. Um, then prior to to meeting up, play the game and then start trying to review the game as quickly as you can. Either going through the set piece <coughs> or watching the game fully. And then get up the next day, watch the game again, and then you'd have to watch the opposition would have played that day as well that you're playing next week. So you'd have to watch their game and update the analysis you'd done on their line out attack and defence and anything in and around their scrum and their set piece stuff. Yeah. So it, it, would you ever to take the heat out of the workload? Would you ever um, get what Ulster would have done occasionally with Jared Payne before he finished up officially? Mm. he took over um, defence or he was doing bits and pieces or he was doing like backfield cover would you ever empower an injured player or someone who wasn't going to be involved that week to go away do some research and present something to the team to t not just to take away from your workload but <laughs> to kind of I don't know to, to give a bit of ownership to players yeah yeah yeah. Well, we, did it, we did that all the time but that doesn't mean you can't do the work yourself because like a lot of the players now would come would come to to the coaches and they'd say, "Listen, I've had a I've had an idea. Or, you know, I'd like to. That's 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 the whole thing. Is that the the less the more redundant the coaches are, the better. Um, so the players like when we'd prepare, I was lucky in that like a lot of lads say around our line out attack. You'd have the likes of Billy Holland, Tyg Byrne, uh, Darren O'Shea, Finian Witcherly coming up, and, and Jean Klein." those lads would go in and they'd spend they'd spend a lot of time analyzing as well and they'd they'd know what we have to come up for what what, what options we'd have in the menu so then we'd sit down then on a monday morning and i'd have what i'd have done but they'd present what what they've done and um 
and we come to a consensus because if they don't, you know, they ha they'd have to be the ones who are comfortable with running it. And yeah, we, we'd often have players talking about, listen, this is some some subtleties that they want to add to a couple of plays that we have and they present to the coaches and you know if, if it's if it's strong enough it gets integrated because then you get the players there's ownership there and yeah that's but you, you could never go oh i think i'd like to go to the cinema on wednesday evening so ring up one of the lads and say will you do the, do the line outs <laughs> yeah. and then because if it if he makes if he if he makes a balls of it it's back on you so it yeah. kind of gives you gives you a confidence as well yourself as a coach going in to be able to is it back on you though if you hand over that i mean yeah it is billy 100%. did that billy billy prepped the line <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it had nothing to do with me yeah no you, you lose your job for that one uh. um but it's it, it is good it is good uh it's it's a big workload but it's such a great job yeah and it's only when you go and you go into other environments and you you talk about like culture and 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 stuff, all of the, these things that are really strong and monster, and you talk about it and and then you see the challenges that are there because in in other companies where you might have people who aren't as motivated, you see everyone everyone in rugby is they know that they're only going to play for maybe max ten twelve years, and they're always <coughs> on short term contracts, so they're really motivated to to get better every single day. No one's there really kind of like oh I'm just picking up the check, it's it's not really the case. It might be in other clubs, maybe you might see a bit more of it in France when lads are probably a little bit retire, retiring and, and winding down. But that's, you don't take, I don't never took that for granted when I was going in there. Yeah, no, it's it's in, in a lot of other careers, if if you're doing okay, then you, you'll keep your job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but doing okay isn't, isn't enough in coaching or playing really. <laughs> Because there's going to be another kid who's more competitive who's going to be doing better than okay. Well, that's it. It's either going to go two ways. You're either, you either keep getting better every day and and you're improving the team and relative to what the level of competition is for where, what you want to achieve. So Munster strive to win a European Cup. The players have to be, you know, they have to be close on test players, starting regular test yeah. players. And if they're not, then, and if that that's an area that are falling down, then either one of the younger lads is going to come up and maybe take their place and, and drive it on further or else. And it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen very regularly in Ireland because of the, the RFU sort of um, leaning towards the national team, but they might come in and sign, sign a, uh, an overseas player to come in and try and, and, try and strengthen the team there. So in, in a way, it is, it is, it's, a very, it's a really tough job being yeah. a player because you're, you're constantly being assessed every single day. But that's really good as well. You know? Yeah, I always thought whenever whenever you're playing and you're um, dealing with injuries and setbacks and disappointments and uh, being dropped, uh, you know, kind of winning one weekend, losing the next, those kind of ups and downs. I think that develops a, le a level of resilience in players. That I think whenever you finish, I kind of weighed quite heavily on that. And I sort of thought whenever I finish, if I can cope with that level of turmoil, yeah. Then I think I'll be pretty resilient going into a different career. Um, did Did you find that at all, or did you yeah, think that at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I've thought of that. Like a lot of people view that externally, and they'd say, yeah, and they'd look at they'd look at players who get a lot of injuries, or, or like you're saying, getting <coughs> dropped a lot, and they'd say, "Oh, geez, you know, how did you stay with it? You know, how did you end up doing?" We said, "Well, first of all, most people didn't start playing the game." just to get paid, you know, they paid the game because they love playing rugby. So whether they get dropped or whether they get injured, they just want to get back and start playing because they love playing the game. 
Whereas most people don't grow up and say, oh, I really want to work in, I don't know, I really want to work in insurance or something like that. And then when they're having a bad day, they don't go, well, I just love working in insurance, so I'll yeah. get on with it anyway. Yeah. Whereas I think that's the case in rugby. And a lot of times, like, it, it's just, it is, it's, you're developing uh, that, that level of resilience as well. And you're, you're right, you can, you can apply it in other things when you come out of the job. Yeah. Well, what about whenever, um, how would you compare then your, your two retirements, I suppose, the most recent one as a coach, um, retiring with a family and all the kind of perspective that comes with that, mm. or retiring when you're slightly younger, whenever maybe rugby is, is more important to you relative to everything else? Oh, in terms of identity and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, have, I, don't, I don't feel I've retired as a coach. I stopped coaching this year and oh, I, so, I looked oh, again. Oh, sorry. Yes. Have you not? <laughs> well, I, st I stopped this year. Like I, 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 um, I, I, I turned down the contract at Munster because um, I'm going to take a year out. Uh, a gap looked, year? Yeah, well, I, I, I just have to see. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know until you step away from it. Yeah. And I love the job and there's great people there, but I just said, for me, this is the right time to step out. When I when I retired as a player, if you remember, I had all them injuries before I. Yeah, I remember. It was torture, and um, I was just constantly. <coughs> it was 2011 World Cup, and I remember trying to get out, <laughs> trying to get out to that thing, and trying to get fit for it, and just being injured. I I think I played maybe two games in 18 months beforehand, or maybe maybe up to the point where we played the World Cup warm-ups. So I was I was getting pretty pretty pissed off at rugby at that stage. You know, I was like everything that I was throwing at my injury wasn't working. Yeah. So then when I retired, I got injured again at the World Cup, and then when I eventually retired, then it was almost like um, it was like a weight off my shoulders yeah. that I could go and do something else without feeling like I felt like I hadn't progressed anywhere in eighteen months with rugby towards the end of my career because of my injury. So when I retired, then it was it was a bit of a relief. And I did miss it, but I, I was conscious because I had so much time. It was not like I got a big, you know, it's not like I got a big, huge injury and suddenly, oh no, my all my plans have changed. I, I'd obviously, when I've been picking up injuries so much, I've been thinking about, well, I'm not sure how long, how much longer I can keep playing the game. Yeah, so yeah. I was kind of a little bit prepped for that. Because you had, um, it was your calf, wasn't it? Mm. And then you had you done it two or three times, isn't that right? Yeah. And then I think everybody just knew that it was that training session where was that it was the run up to the Australia game was it yeah yeah the week of the Australia game yeah um, and it was in Auckland then obviously and um, everybody kind of knew that someone came into the change room and said Flaz done his calf again because I was at the back so obviously we weren't with yeah, yeah. I don't think we were with you when it happened or maybe, I think, maybe I it was think, a team I think, I think I was running uh, I think they it was almost like a team run um or they were prepping two teams. We yeah. might have been running Australia's plays. And I remember I was running a, a, a short line off Raj and he just left the ball there and I just felt my calf go. So again. it was Raj's fault? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Put the blame on him, yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty shit. But it was, it was weird because all the way up to that World Cup, I thought I was fucked. I thought I was done. And then I remember I went into Declan Kidney, who was the coach at the time. I went into Decky and I said... Um, do you remember how hard you were training in Carrington House? I remember standing on the sideline with Brian Green, the physio, and he just had me doing some some stupid exercise with a med ball, like it was just like <laughs> bringing it over and back. And I remember watching, um, I think I saw Jamie Heaslip, Sean O'Brien and Gavin Duffy, and they were doing, you had to do like a wrestle for the ball, yeah. and then 
on the whistle the sprint to be a 150 then back into another wrestle to something else uh, sleds I, I think we went to sleds at one stage I remember seeing Gav Duffy man and he his, his, his arms kept cramping his, his biceps were cramping so his arms were like this so he looked like a T-Rex <laughs> and then he was puking as well so he'd run back <laughs> And two physio would come over, he'd start puking and they'd start stretching his arms out <laughs> and he'd be like this, and he was so skinny, I could see his heart beating. Oh, and then uh, and then the whistle would go and they'd just push him and he'd just start sprinting again. And then I remember, like, and I was just there with a, with a, with a med ball just doing this on the sideline with Greeny. And uh, then when the session finished- And we would all go past you like this. Everyone was high-fiving. There was like, oh, it was like everyone's getting sick and they're all bonding together. And I was like, look at me, man, I'm not part of this at all. And I went up to Phil Morrow He's the, you know, Phil, yeah. uh, he's, he was the S&C coach. And um, I just said, listen, I said, if you can't, if you can't end me tomorrow, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. And I remember I was, I was almost, I was, I was nearly crying going to a man because I was kind of like, there was so much stuff going on in my head. I said, I, I need to start training hard here. You know what I mean? Even if I can't do the running with the lads, I need to train hard. And he goes, okay. Um, I said, I'll, I'll go home if, if you can't. And he brought me out and made me pull sleds with, I think, Wally, uh, O'Connell and I think it was Wally and O'Connell. That's it, you're in the deep end there oh, as well. Oh, and the sleds were so heavy and I was trying to talk a bit of, a bit of shit to try and, you know, <laughs> just to, because tr- I was so mentally broken from being injured all the time. I was, I was like, I was like, is this it? 200 kilos? <laughs> Easy. And I was pulling it and I remember, um, I remember like when we finished and he was like when I was responding to him like uh, where he was responding to me he was kind of getting a little bit annoyed at me and I was like this is easy and I was absolutely I was I was fucked and then afterwards said right you're into the gym now to do your that was like the kind of my lowers so they didn't want to load my spine because my I had all these injuries that all they're all coming from my back the calf injuries are coming from my back so then I went into the gym and I literally got a power aid and I was just running from corner of the gym to the corner of the gym trying to avoid the S&C because I couldn't I, I could barely stand yeah. up and uh, I rang Baz that night, and Baz had just gotten an operation, and uh, he was there to me. I was there. I said I did a session today, man. I was just, I was destroyed. And he was like, I wish I was like that. And I said, You don't, you don't. <laughs> but uh, those sled sessions, it it might have been in around the same time, mm. but I think it was uh, Donica Ryan um, was maybe was he struggling in a couple of the reps and Declan. It was Leamy. It was Leamy. Leamy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started like pushing his sled along to try and help him. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching it. And again, you see, I was in the silence. Even the coaches were getting in the mix and I was just there like, this is, this is a joke. Yeah. And after a couple of weeks of that, I went up to Decky because they kept managing me and whenever I try and run, my calf would get tied again so they'd pull me out. And I went up to him coming up to the Scotland game. I said, I'm going to take part in training this week. And uh, if my calf tears, it tears. Um, if you want to pick me, pick me. And if you pick me and if I don't play well, just get rid of me. But I have to pull the trigger on this thing. I can't just keep waiting. And he was really sound to me. He was like, listen, he said, I don't want you to, to, to speed up your rehab to break down and then I lose a, a potential hooker option. And I said, listen, I said, I've been preparing for this for 18 months, nearly yeah. two years. Yeah. And I went out and, you know, getting the first day just to be back out on the field with you, even though you're just doing a captain's run on a Monday to Scotland week, just passing the ball around, I was like, this is brilliant just to be back. So that, that's where I got that like kind of, when people talk about how do you, how are you resilient, I just like playing rugby with the lads and that was, that was it. Um, 
and then eventually broke down again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was all. But yeah. going back, I thought it was gone, and then going back out on that on that World Cup, I I didn't take anything for granted. I was like, this is so class. Yeah. You know, appreciating traveling business class and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and, um, and getting getting back out, getting to actually play, getting to do lineouts and scrums and, and, and working with, with Kissy on D and, and Fiki on the scrums and, and Gert. I just enjoyed being part of that, being away from the medical staff. And then when I when I when I got injured, I kind of went, look, I said I I didn't even think I'd get another chance to play. And the fact that I got another couple of caps or yeah, another maybe four or five caps, I was delighted. Yeah. No, it was uh it was an emotional enough time that week and then you handed out the jerseys for the Australia game. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, the, the, when I got injured, I got injured on the Tuesday of the Australia game. And I remember I knew, I knew kind of then and I was rooming with O'Connell and I think O'Connell came up with a bottle of wine for me in the, and he had drawn whiskers or some shit on him. Like he'd... he'd, he'd Trying to cheer you up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but everyone was coming up to my room. It was like a wake. People were coming up. And, yeah. And uh, I was just drinking wine there and I just ordering more wine and just drinking it in my room. And then I, then I remember going into your room and being like, "Don't it, say anything." It's stupid. like I was dead. Like they come in and just lying <laughs> yeah, on the bed. Yeah, we're just like, "He was and, a good uh, man." And um, and then yeah, then Decky just said to me. Then I just started tried to get. I I was the idea was that I'd fly home, and Decky said, "Listen, will you will you hang on till after the game?" And I said, "Okay." And he said, "Will you give out the jerseys?" And then I had to give out the jerseys, and that was that was pretty tough. Then day before the game. Yeah, well, it had the desired effect. Yeah. That was my last, my last, Your last contribution. Mm. Um, right. Well, anyway, we're um, that got a bit heavy, didn't it? No, it's my fault that I. I I'm I'm good with it. I was I was this old to you. You'll have a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no! Look, we're dealing with the the transition from playing from coaching. So, yeah. and transition from coaching is, it's tough because you you miss going into the you just miss working with everyone like that, and it's 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 a it's a great environment, but. If you don't step away, you'll, you'll never know what the other side is like. So Yeah. No, well, it's great to have you on the show mm. as a regular anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it now. It's good. The, yeah. the show's always been a good laugh. I, I, I used to listen to it in the mornings when I train. So. You're a genuine fan. Mm. You, were, um, you were the one that encouraged me to, to do it in the first place. Yeah, because I think people, there was like a... Because the longer I played at you the, and the better I got to know you, the more I found you were, like, everyone just had this idea of, oh, your man Trimble, that winger for Ulster is good. Yeah, but he's like, doesn't have sex and he's a religious <laughs> freak and all that. And, and, uh, <laughs> and no, I have sex. <laughs> no, you've had, no, you've had sex and you're cool. But uh, I remember, I like, um, then when I got to know you, I said, oh, he's such a great laugh. And, um, and I, I just, thought that people didn't really know what you were like and this is like a, they obviously know what you're like now but uh it's just it's there's a real good buzz between yourself and baz there and i enjoy, i really enjoyed last season that was really good good man fa yeah good man no it was uh uh we, we had a good time last year um it was it, it took us a while to kind of find our feet because we've kind of come back sometimes we'd be really nerdy rugby other times more often than not the pendulum swings the other way and we hardly touch in rugby mm. maybe you'll be able to get us a, a nice little bit of balance a bit of a bit of coaching insight we can get a bit of player insight and then hopefully we'll 
um, give people what they would like to listen to? Yeah, yeah. I think the main thing is that the show is, is a good laugh. I just don't want to mess that up. So. <laughs> yeah. And I won't. It'll be good. No, you won't. No way. Anyway, so uh, we had a lot, of se- a lot of fun in season one of the show. Um, but for the, the viewer or the listener, um, we enjoyed uh, a little bit of um, uh, viewer or listener uh, interaction. Um, so next season... Um, we would have got occasionally heckled on the street. Someone called me Trimble, uh, Trimby, a bosom. He's going, oh, Trimby. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know you. Yeah. Um, I was quite familiar. So I think um, um, Jim Hamlin was telling me this, actually. He, he does the, the rugby pod. He says, because people listen to you, like, and because quite often they'd be like commuting or whatever on the train, I've bumped into a couple of guys on the train who listen to our show. It's probably, probably quite artificially intimate feels like a like a one on one. So Jim Hamlin was saying people think that you're like closer than you are. Yeah. <laughs> so I've kind of experienced that a couple of times. Bumped into a fella on the train. And he was like he was like, no way. I'm just listening to you here. <laughs> this same fella twice. <laughs> and he was embarrassed the second time because he was sort of it dawned on him that I was going, Have you nothing better to do with your life than listen to us? Yeah, that's good man. If you don't if they don't listen to it it's it's gonna <laughs> die a death. So So um I when I used to go in training in the morning because you get up, you generally, like everyone else in my house would be asleep. So by the time I get in, I sort of want a bit of social interaction. But there's no one, generally, if there's one or two people in the gym at six in the morning, you you know, they're just trying to get through it as quick as they could. So when I put on your podcast, I kind of feel like like I was nestled in on the yeah. sofa. You're with one you of the boys. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to encourage that, that um, participation. Um, so we've set up a House of Rugby Ireland Facebook group. So obviously we're still going to, um, keep in touch on Twitter and Instagram and all the usual um, platforms but the Facebook um, group will be where we can contribute a little bit more or get a little bit more um, more of an exchange um, so anyway um, do I need to get on Facebook to be on that? yeah you know, that's a start yeah you're not on Facebook? yeah I deactivated my Facebook <laughs> years ago man she's your old school it was just became like just like full of potholes, people I didn't know and people just messaging you about shite and I'd be like, right, I'm done with this. Yeah. So I got rid of it. Um, Pat, you heard from someone there recently? Yeah, we got it. I was saying we took a break there and we were going to take a break of just two or three weeks over summer, but it was actually good to have, didn't we have Trimby around seven or eight weeks off or something? But yeah, it did feel good. It did feel good to take a break. Great, but yeah. uh, we were getting in lots of messages over summer. When's the show coming back? And, and, and lots of nice messages about, about it. And, um, when our live shows have come back but one of the people that got in touch with us was a girl called Louise Gatel and uh, she goes out with a guy called Henrik Gervais who used to play for St Mary's and I think he was on the outskirts of the Leinster squad back in the in the 90s and early 2000s and uh, yeah he had a bit of a bad injury and um, living over in America now but she was saying he goes through some tough times every now and then but uh, he actually loves listening to the show and that's one of the big highlights of his week is listening to the show so uh, she was saying that um, July 14th just passed there was a big special day for him and she sent me a little message here I'll read this out because I probably botched it if I kind of paraphrase it. it's like I'm writing because July 14th special day to us I'm wondering if there's any chance to ask the guys to mention him and say that his girlfriend wants him to know that he's the most awesome person and that I love him so I hope I've done that justice oh, there my goodness. We're, we're, we're touching we're touching hearts I yeah. had Barry Murphy on the phone crying to me when, when he got that message I can imagine he's is it Gervais or Gervais Louis Walsh, remember called Ricky Gervais. Gervais, yeah, <laughs> I remember Ricky, that. You look like a fat Ricky Gervais, <laughs> and then uh, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> yeah, I would say Gervais. Yeah, okay. 
but yeah, so lots of messages like that. So and that's the whole idea about the, the Facebook group as well. It's and, and as I said, just people. Just we want more and more people over the course of the season to get in touch with us and let us know what they want to hear on the show and give us feedback. And to somebody already slagging your jeans there when I put a picture out of of the show recording this morning. So <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that we want to hear. Yeah. Haters, bring it on, haters. haters. <laughs> no, that's, we we did an improv class there um, last week, and um, what we learned was we have to support each other. <laughs> Mm. We're not going to be haters. No. We're not going to slag each other's jeans. We're going to compliment each other's jeans. Your jeans are really nice. Thanks for that. you got a good colour on your ankles too. Thanks. Anyway, uh, we'll be back with part two. Right, lads. House of Rugby, together with Guinness, Joe, we're back. Season two. Excited, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Time is short here, right? Right. Well, you know, when we start, mm. is this what we really want to be doing though? But you worry too much. Why don't you just leave it? Me and Baz. Like, uh, yeah, no, we, we can do social media afterwards. I know, like, this is cra- great crack and all, but, like, just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of rugby. Like, tr- tr- please, just for me, like. I've uh, got this. Like, the World Cup, it's weeks, like, it's a few weeks away. Like, it, like, everyone's starting to get excited. We got Schmidt's last tournament, Sexton and Murray, they're coming back. Are they going to come back? Back? You know what else is back? Love Island. And not for plebs, not for Greg O'Shea. It's Love Island for celebrities, like Baz and me. Well, lads. Are we going to talk about some rugby? Who invited him? Okay, welcome back to part two. Uh, this Saturday, Ireland play their first warm-up game against Italy at the Viva Stadium. And there might be a few guys get an opportunity who mightn't typically, typically get an opportunity. Typically. Typically get, you know, mm. an opportunity. <laughs> what's your thoughts? Uh, is, is it, well, what, what's your thoughts on the warm-up games in general? Are they nothing games? Are they just avoid injury and don't play badly enough to get um, excluded? <laughs> Or that an oversimplification? <laughs> well, 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 2007, the, the, that was the first World Cup I was involved in, and, and we didn't have enough warm-up games, and we were rubbish then when we got to the World Cup as a result of it. Um, the warm-up games are, I think, are really important, particularly because Ireland start with, Scot- with the Scotland game, which is going to be the defining game, I think, in their group. So I think that, I think that Ireland wanna, want, want to be... They want to have all of their, their first-choice 15, or what everyone would kind of pretty much... What, what Joe would have agreed on as his first choice 15, have all those players healthy, have them fit, have them playing well, and then start start ticking off who the second choice is going to be in a couple of positions. I think his second choice two, his second choice uh, lock, his second choice probably 15, they're going to be important for him. And, uh, and then getting game time into the guys who are probably, I think most people would agree that I think Joey Carberry is probably going to be the second choice 10, get some time into him at 10, they may want to have a look at him at 15 as well. Th- those kind of things, looking at, I'd be interested to see who, who's, going to co- who's going to be the, the full back cover. Is it going to be Joey or is it going to, are they going to look at Andrew Conway or are they going to look at Robbie Henshaw or are they going to look at Jordan Lamore? You know. Yeah, I doubt that if they put Joey on the bench, I doubt they'd have him covering 15 as well, just because he's got so much responsibility to come on last 15 minutes and close out a game and also to compromise his mindset with having to cover 
another position as well. Yeah, yeah. Although he's he's proved this year he's pretty mature, mm. um, that he could probably cope with it, I'm sure, but still. Oh, we were still at Munster quite a lot last year. We, we'd have, uh, if Joey was there, we'd be comfortable <laughs> that we could we, we could shift him to 15, but a lot of times we'd play, we'd, we'd, we could put JJ Hanrahan at 10 and put JJ back to 15. And it, it's, I understand that there's a lot, there's mentally a lot to take on board for the 10s. But if they prep as that for the 10 and if they get back to 15, they still should be all right. I, I don't know, you might know yeah. better, but they, they always seem pretty comfortable with Well, it. the alternative would be, I suppose, to put maybe Jordan. Like if, if mm. we were chatting this before we started recording, but you're, you've got your Ireland kind of first 15 that is kind of standard that we all kind of expect. The no surprises 15, although yeah. I would imagine there will be one or two surprises. But if you've got, if Carney starts, you put Jordan uh, Larmer on the bench, then I think it's it's probably easier if a centre goes down for Earls to go into the centre and Larmer to go on the wing. Because I think Earls, he's just more mature, more established. Mm. He can cope with the uh, positional change more so than, uh, he's not that young, but Carberry's like, considered like relatively quite young. And I think he's yeah, more yeah. shielding from that. Well, I think... It, they're they're gonna find out. They're gonna find out through these games. But yeah, you're right. Earlsy Earlsy stepping into cover thirteen can probably do that. Yeah. Um, it probably frees you up then to put maybe a specialist on the bench to cover fifteen. Yeah. Um, so um, the early game this weekend will it be? Are you expecting it just to be like like a kind of? Uh, well, is it gonna be a friendly game? Is it gonna be a little bit looser than it potentially would be if it was a? Six Nations game or a World Cup game? It's not going to be a friendly because there's so much at stake. But I think for most of the players there, they're probably keen to just put their best foot forward with Joe and and perform as best they can. But if you look at, like even watching the Rugby Championship the first couple of weeks, it, it's it, the, the start, the first couple of games are generally a little bit sloppier, you know, because teams, the timing is slightly off. So you have to take probably take that into into account a little bit, but the lad, there's no one's going to go out there and just go through the motions because there's so much competition there, and and this is Joe's last chance at a World Cup with Ireland, so he's not gonna he's not gonna be sort of affording people any kind of <coughs> any any grace if they don't perform. They've got to be able to perform. That's why I think it's and and f- from the accounts that I've heard, pre-season has been really, really tough, particularly at the start. They started at 100 miles an hour. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They're doing a lot of occlusion running and stuff like that where they tie off their legs trying to... I think the idea is that is that they you don't have to stress the body as much to get the same training effect. Sorry, but, um, what, what do you mean they tie off the legs? Well, my previous... In that, like, if you've injured your arm, uh-huh. you might be able to lift as much weight with your arm, but when they occlude the arm... So you, t- you tie it off like a, like a tourniquet. Okay. So you're restricting the blood flow in there. So the body starts having to feel it has to work harder to get the oxygen in there. I, I, the science on it, I'm not 100% on, but yeah, yeah. they started practicing with that and, and doing things like that to suppose the first day back of preseason, you don't want to absolutely go with massive intensity, but if you can manipulate some of the parameters of how the players are training, but maybe some occlusion that yeah. they'll get the same training effect without having to stress them as much. But is that as much about um, a really um, innovative um, training technique or or is it just change things and do something different and give them something to talk about? Do you know Ash, what I mean? I don't, I don't think What's that called? Occlusion? Occlusion, yeah. So do you think the guy... Did you never have this with Ultra? No, I've right? never no. heard of this. That's why we've been... <laughs> 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 yeah. well, we haven't been tying our biceps. Um, 
Yeah, well, I, I just that's just the feedback I got is that is the first the first couple of weeks were really really tough, <coughs> but the first couple of weeks are always like they're always generally tough because people are coming off their holidays. But I think they would have been. I think they would have been pretty pretty sharp with what they were doing in the off season as well with their off season running programs. So it just must have been a, a tough a tough start for everyone. The the um, I'm thinking back to World Cup 2015. The first few weeks weren't that tough actually from from what I remember because um, Jason Kleinman decided that he wanted to have a big emphasis on maximal output or you know kind of sprint and and power output in the gym stuff like this. So. We would have been off our feet for long periods throughout the day. They wouldn't have, we didn't have like typically what is your long days, skill sessions uh, into an S and C session onto the pitch for units and back on. You know, we would have mm. been really well well managed. We weren't allowed to play golf in the evenings, for example. If you're on your feet too long. It was all about power output um, for that first couple of weeks, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, I suppose the point I'm making is. If you introduce something new and Ireland play well, everybody puts it down to occlusion. <laughs> or everyone will overemphasize something that's changed. But I suppose the point is that if you change something, it's going to freshen people's mindsets a little bit, give them something new to think about. By this stage, there's lads who've done, you know, 10, yeah, 12, yeah, yeah. 14 yeah, pre-seasons. I, I get your point, I get your point. I, it's... The, the game is changing as well. Like, you remember, like, when, remember when I was playing and we used to look at look at teams that were that were setting the standard at the time and it was all about like the centralised whistle and really short, sharp sessions, boom, 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 and everyone's off the field. Mikey McGurn with the foghorn. <laughs> yeah. And then so I thought that, that was that was when I went to, I went across to the Crusaders last year and I could not believe the amount of time that they spent on their feet. The intensity might be down for quite a lot of the session, but they were they would have long sessions, like two hours at least. And uh, now a huge amount of that was 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 built in around actually just working on their fundamental skills, um, but I couldn't get over it. Even the captain's run, um, I was there for a game when they played the Highlanders, and uh, they had a captain's run. It was like an hour and a half, and uh, there was probably twenty five minutes of just just micros, you know, like extras at the end of a session. They yeah. just called them micros, and the players were like, just. It was like when you throw a load of balls to six and seven year olds, they get so excited. They were honestly, they were all outside. Like Sam Whitelock is down on his knees working on offloads, just falling. Then he'd come over and he'd join in with Owen Franks hitting the scrum sled. Then he'd be working on a little bit of footwork stuff in around the line out. Then he might just work on staying square, running at the post and being able to get the pass away and keeping his hips square at the post. Watching a hooker's practice and throwing, um, watching hookers getting in some extra, like it was. It was it was it was so impressive. It was incredible, incredible culture and environment, and all player driven. You know, now I came in towards the latter half of the season, so maybe I don't know whether that was had to be pushed a little bit from the coaching side, or you know, players had to be educated a little bit around what they f- what what were the right things for them to work on. But when I was there, it just seemed to be so player driven. They had they had a pretty crazy culture there, but. When I spoke to some of their S and C, and I spoke to some of their physios, I would just say, "I said, you are on the pitch so long," and he yeah. says, "Listen, the All Blacks are on the pitch even longer, and the amount of high speed running that the, that the All Blacks do in their sessions." He said, "We can't tell the All Blacks. Listen, d- mm, dial it down a little bit, guys." They said, "So we just have to get up to a speed, up to a level where where the players can tolerate that that kind of work, and the body will tolerate." Will tolerate whatever whatever stresses you put on, as long as you give it time to adapt. Yeah, but um, I suppose the point you're saying though, 
that a lot of it was low intensity. So they were just getting the reps in, getting the yeah. ball in their hands and yeah. going through, not going through the motions, but getting used to the motion, like executing the execution of the skill. The reason I'm thinking this is because when Charles Piatai was with us, mm. um, <clears throat> he tried to introduce a couple of ideas and thoughts and different plays that the All Blacks would have been doing or yeah. Blues would have been doing. And we were kind of like, are you seriously trying to get these big fellas to, to try and pass and catch? Mm. <laughs> we are like, just let them do their set piece, they'll be grand. And he was saying, you wouldn't believe what some of the uncoordinated New Zealand forwards, how coordinated you could get them by just doing those reps and getting used to the ball in hand. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, that was the point he was saying, like, some of the guys who you think are useless, <laughs> they're not that useless. So he was going, look at, see these hams here that you're all laughing at, these <laughs> yeah. fat hams. We'll get these fat hams into football. We were like, no, just leave them be hams, lad. Um, yeah, well, but that's that's why that's why New Zealand are, the, are, are, are have got the best playing pool to choose from because... Every single player there has got a good skill set, you know. It's and it, I remember I chatted to Tyler about this, and Tyler was saying, when we're five and six years of age, we're informally just playing touch all the time. You'd be down the beach with your granddad practicing passing and running around and evasion. So when you watch the All Blacks play, every time they're they're if, if the forwards are carrying the ball. You know, they're asking a question of the defence because they can. They'll get the ball. They might play a little tip on. They might use some evasion with their footwork before they carry, or they might pull the ball back out out the back to a to a back who's tucked in behind and, and be able to move the ball to the edge. Everyone is comfortable to move the ball. And Jacques Nienaber, who was uh, the defence coach in Munster uh, a couple of years ago, he used to have a saying. He said, "Passing forwards creates space." Because generally, most people see the forwards and they go line speed and they just go to hammer them because they think they're going to put their skill set under pressure. But when you've got guys who Sorry, are... I thought you meant passing forwards create space. I was going, this, you need to get rid of this guy. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you meant passing the ball forward. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I've got does. this new idea. <laughs> yeah. but, but he was saying that when you get forwards who can actually move the ball comfortably, he said, that's what creates space. And uh, and you see it, man, when you watch the All Blacks. If you watch the All Blacks in the in the box the last day, the difference between the the handling level across the All Blacks, uh, their fifteen versus versus the Springboks, and I saw that it was something that we worked on hard with Munster last year, coming back from the Crusaders and just seeing how much of an emphasis in the Northern Hemisphere. I know the I know the weather is is shitter and and the ball will be wet and the pitches won't be won't be as firm, but. There is a period at the start of the season when the pitches are, are firm, the ball is dry, and there is a period toward the end of the season. And if you're only playing a collision, you know, a, a, a kicking-based territory game, and you're just trying to win collisions and maul all the time, that will get you through that sticky period when the, when the conditions are tough. But you need to have the ability to do two, to do the both. You've got to have a game plan with a run focus and a kick focus, and it just shifts as as the conditions and or, or as the as the the referees are refereeing the game and uh, but you need to the players need to have a skill set to be able to take advantage of that of that of that running game so it's not something that you can just say oh it's March April and May are up next so we better do a lot of handling you've it's got to be built in and ideally you have it you have it so that the players are doing it from when they're five six years of age like Reese Marshall one of the hookers a monster he's one of the best passers of a ball I've seen his, his ball skills are phenomenal um, and I think I, I, I think we specialise a little bit too early um, in rugby positionally in our, yeah in that like 
you were probably a winger because you were fast and you probably stayed in the wing. No? No. You were a centre? I, I kind of made my way further and further out as from when I was 10 years old. I was like, a, I was a hooker <laughs> in mini rugby. Then I was a back row in like, I don't know, second year, third year. Okay, we'll, we'll scratch you because you're, you're, you're messing up my and theory. Then, uh, sorry, go on, yeah. But the idea is like, is if people are just constantly, if, you, if when, when I was like 14, you'd have the guy who was the out half in your team and he'd be the out half from when you were 12 until when you were 18. He's just the best player, usually. But, but say you have a guy then who's, who's playing second row when you're under 12s and he's like, I'm going to be the second row all the way up. And then he gets to 17, 18, he's like six foot one. You know, he never handles the ball. Whereas if you're just moving around and just playing in different positions all the time, you'll get a real good skill set. And then at around 18, you'll pick the position, 17, 18, when you mature into your physically, you'll find the best position for you. So yeah, I'm just imagining Dev, Turner at 10. <laughs> <laughs> like taking himself all seriously, you know, and like calling the shots and everybody's going, Dev. I'm telling you, man, that's a, uh, your man Garban Grabler, who played at Munster, used to play out half and he had phenomenal hands and he was a second row. But I, I was like, how, how did your handling get so good? And he said, oh, I used to play 10 when I was younger. Yeah, but and then, did he play 10 because he had good hands or did he get good hands because he played 10? I think it was the first one. Well, he probably, he probably went in and right, play, both, played at 10 and got good hands as a result of it. Like he, everyone's got to play. I think the more rounded the player's skill set are is from an early age, then they can specialise as they get older. But if they've specialised straight away, then they're, if you're a tight five, if you're going to be tight five, you don't touch the ball an awful lot from when you're 12 until you're 18. You're, you're not going to develop good handling skill set. And then you've got a guy then who'll come in as a technical coach. Say you're, you're a, a real good loose head prop and they'll come in then and say, oh, we've got to try and get develop you and make you a bit more rounded as a player, but you've lost out on six years of development that are up to that point. Yeah. Whereas if he could have played in multiple different positions, specialised from say 16, 17, 18, he's going to be in a way better position. And that's what I think the advantage that the, that the All Blacks have over the, over the other sides. Because everything else is equal. Like the SNC, the information is out there that every team that goes to the World Cup is probably going to be reasonably strong, reasonably yeah. fit, fast, powerful, but it's their skill set that makes the difference. And honestly, when I was there in the Crusaders, the players would come out like you'd have, you might have a uh, back three would be working squatting and then they come out then and they just work on seven meter passes. They get 27 meter passes in and then one of them might go over and he'd be working on just on one leg with a football, just working with a, with a, uh, a like a soccer ball, like a football, just working on just his handling off the ball, off a wall. And they were just constantly layering skills in all the time. And I was, I was watching that, because um, even, even though I stopped coaching, I, I, I kind of like trying to consume rugby all the time now because I kind of miss it, it feels alien to me. And I was watching that video, that video blog that the English rugby team are doing, uh -huh. the, I think it's Ri Rising Suns or Rising On or something it's called. And Joe Marler was talking on the last episode and he was just saying about, oh, how was your day going? He said, oh, we really heavy gym session and we're doing a lot of conditioning and there's a little bit of skills in there. And I was like, this is where we're missing a trick. Not, not that I'm saying that I would revolutionize what England do, but this is where I think everyone, like yeah, it's everyone not a dramatic, in the Northern Hemisphere. It's not a dramatic change. You just, I think you just, you fine tune what you're doing and you add more in. An example of that is um, Ulster have just revamped their gym. 
mm. um, to accommodate. They're, they've got rid of the cable poles, they've got rid of a couple of platforms, and they've made it kind of multifunctional uh, surface or whatever. They've got a tackle room as well, mm. which used to be a store. And now I don't know if they do set piece, but I know they do tackle tech in there. They do passing drills in between sets in the gym, I think. Mm. So it's not a ma- like it's just an addition of something else. But what you're saying, I don't think you go away and say we're doing this all wrong. Yeah. We need to revamp yeah. the whole lot, but we just need to have a look at this, change this a little bit because I know we've said this a million times, but the margins are very fine. I know that's a bit of a catchphrase, <laughs> but to get better, like again, a bit of a. Uh, uh, an appreciation or a realization we made with Ulster at one stage was that we weren't losing big knockout games because we weren't fit enough or fast enough or mm. strong enough. It's because we were making bad decisions or not quite executing correctly under pressure. Mm. So let's address that and just make sure we're still doing the other stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's just putting a more more of an emphasis on developing as skilled players. I read this um, Alex Ferguson's before I went down to the Crusaders. I was reading one of those Alex Alex Ferguson's books. Uh, he he's a two or three of them out. But the book said about how a lot of players who were at United when they were there for maybe two three years, they used to actually get frustrated and they come to him and say, oh, "You know, the sessions, <coughs> the technical element in the se- in the in the sessions." You know, we're just getting bored of it now, you know, like just working on the one touch and open up my hips to move the ball. And he said, well, this is, you're still not that good at it. So until you, until you get really good at it. And I realized then, like when I went down to the Crusaders and we, I was looking for what shapes they're using to exit in their own half. And they were like, a shape is a shape. You know, it's actually having the players with enough, confident enough that they can move the ball in their own half and confidently do it without fear of dropping the ball which is the which is the thing in 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 the northern hemisphere that's why a lot of teams don't play as much rugby in their own half because they feel well if we turn the ball over here the opposition are 30 20 meters away from our try line when it's actually could be one of the best places to attack but you just need to have the confidence that the players have the ability to shift the ball and that they're conditioned enough to get enough depth to take advantage of the run when it's on or to kick on the edge if, if that's when it's on so it's just the better your players are technically the, the better the game is. Yeah. And I think that it's so easy to just to just focus on lifting weights because you can quantify it and yeah. it's so easy to just work on running and, and you know, getting lots of protein shakes in. That, that is important. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, the quantifying it is quite an interesting point because mm. um, I, I can't tell you that I'm better, better at passing than you because you're going to say, no, I'm better at passing than you. Whereas players are competitive and they yeah. will be now they'll obviously not have those childish conversations in the gym, but I'll know if I'll know if I'm training with someone else that I'm competing with positionally. Yeah. If I'm lifting more than him, I know that'll give me a bit of a buzz. But to know that I'm a better passer, a better decision maker, it's not quantifiable, as you say. So it's hard mm. to kind of track that or develop the competitiveness, I think. Well, we put a big focus on it when we came back last year into preseason with Munster, and you see guys like you see guys develop and then you just you just go on to opt that in halfway through the season and say, I want to see how much this guy is passing the ball now. So you get guys like you might have a, a lucid prop like like Dave Kilcoyne who's like a, who's a phenomenal ball carrier. So when he gets the ball, he's always going to go, I'm going to carry the ball because I'm really good at it. And then that team's hone in on him because they go, it's Kilcoyne, it's Munster, I'm going to stop him and stop momentum. Yet when he starts, I, I, I watched it, I'd say he was passing the ball probably 50% more than he ever had in the past. And he was, because teams are honing in, going, it's Kilcoyne, he's going to carry. And then he pulls the ball out the back 
and it's, it's, it's a well-executed crisp pass to a back, then there's loads of space then to, to exploit. It's that passing forwards, making yeah. space thing. But the, the sooner you can start on it, the better. I know that Munster have appointed a guy now, Mike Petman, as a technical coach to come in and probably upskill the coaches and improve the, improve the, um, the pathway towards the Munster Academy and the Munster Senior Team so that the, the players are of a higher standard when they come in technically, yeah. which I think is really progressive. And it's probably been one of the strengths of the Leinster system and that they have most of the schools there because they, they're, you know, the fee-paying schools can afford to put a full-time director of rugby in place and they'll put a focus on developing them as, as rugby players as well, like as, as footballers. Like that's yeah. why, remember how good Leamy was, the, what made Leamy so stand out, like he was, he wasn't, he wasn't like Fez in that he wasn't as big or as powerful as Stephen Ferris, but he was big enough and powerful enough. But it was just his football that just gave him appeared to give him so much time on the ball when yeah. he was carrying, and yeah, he was that that that's where the difference was. He was one of uh, one of our designated carriers. Yeah, yeah, he was a uh, fuck. He was such a great player, man. He used to always pluck uh, restarts here. In yeah, GA style. Mm. I was watching. I watched. Um, I watched Japan and Fiji. Um, the other day and I was just watching like restarts coming in and Nakarawa would just take the ball no lift over his head catch the ball there showing, showing off and then just turn around and just chuck it seven metres back <laughs> offloading it and it'd be like scrambling but uh, the, the ability to do that uh, and you know I've, I've listened to your man Ben Ryan there on the, on the UK house where I'll be talking about just being amazed at the skill level that these guys have for how big they are so it's 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 trainable, you know what I mean. You but just is that, is that an example of does that kind of um, is that a counter argument? Then the Fijians can all do that; they can all throw one-handed offloads, mm. but they don't win test matches. So that level of skill only get you so far. Well, it's, it's easy, easy to add structure. Structure is easy enough to to put into teams. Well, and no Fijian coach has been able to. Been able to, to do it successfully. Yeah, well, we'll didn't see. they get beat by Japan? Yeah, they did. They got beaten by Japan. And to be fair, Japan were, were good. Japan held the ball for a long time in the game. They had an awful lot of possession. Um, but Fiji were F yeah, Fiji played really unstructured. They were like throwing offloads inside in their own half, and no one seemed to be on the same page. But then they scored a couple of a couple of I think. They, I think they got picked up a mall try, but they, they scored some quality tries as well where um, I think it might have been Yato, the seven, you know, just breaking tackles and just getting the ball, getting their hands free in the far side because they've got those long levers that when they do win a collision, they just get their hands free and they're the support players are anticipating it. So Yeah. Um, tell us about then, let's get back to, to Ireland's the warm-up games then. So you were there 2007, 2000, sorry, 2003 and 2007. No, sorry, 2007-2011, yeah, yeah. two very different um, uh, kind of World Cup warm-up. So you were there as well, were you not? Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah. just trying to get a bit chatting. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2007, we were undercooked. We played <laughs> two test matches and then we got our heads kicked in in Bayonne. Yeah. The Do you remember that? We played Italy in Belfast, and I think they did. They sing "God Save the Queen" before they, they didn't. There was some chat about it. They didn't sing it. They didn't sing it. Okay, okay. Um, and then, yeah, did we lose that game? We won. Pr wise, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been. And then, then we, did we we get, we got we, beat. Ne we nearly got beat by by Italy in Belfast. Yeah. Actually, do you remember yeah. um, Rogers? Would you call it an offload? 
I don't know what it was, man. He dropped I, it backwards. I can't really remember. I can't remember. But I remember we, we just scraped through that one. Who was the other game against? Scotland. Scotland. Who got beat by Scotland? Got beaten by Scotland. Oh, yes, that's the one we were talking about earlier where, where Shaggy hurt his, hurt his knee and you had to come in last minute. Yeah. And then there was the Bayon game. Yeah, where Drico got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down in that. We had a camp in France. It was in Hossager or something like that. It was, yeah. it was class. Yeah. It was a class place to train, but the game then, like, I remember going down and going, we'll just pump these Frenchies yeah. by 60 points. I think I was, I think I was togged, but I didn't play. But I remember it was like, coming in it was like people were like I said do they hate Ireland around here because they yeah. were like so aggressive and, yeah. it uh, certainly seemed like it mm, some old they fella. definitely hated Drico anyway yeah they hated Drico <laughs> I'm not sure if they hated Ireland but they hated Drico <laughs> so he got knocked out um, yeah that, that, I suppose that's that's the gamble is that when you're playing test matches going in or if you're playing a, a touring club team that or a, if you're touring and you play a club team that despises you, people are going to get injured. Yeah. It's going to happen. I remember Neil Best in that game actually um, getting into this argument with one of the, the their South African second rows and Best, he must have done a bit of research before the game. He started abusing him that he'd failed a couple of exams at um, um, Stellenbosch University. You're joking me. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know if he'd made it up uh, or if he just like did a bit of research and discovered this little niche. I know how to get under this guy's skin. Yeah, I wouldn't put anything past Neil Bestman. No. He's he's a maniac. Yeah. A great maniac yeah. on your team. Yeah. When we used to play against Ulster, I remember I used to just be prepared. I said, uh, I remember playing against Northampton, and I think I hit him late. I think uh, he was running a line, and I hit him, and I remember he, just, he looked, I think he might have, I think he potentially knocked me out then later in the game. Yeah, yeah he does I, that. Yeah. I, hit him off the, I hit him off the ball, and he was horrified. And um, he was running a line, and I just, I just took a gamble and hit him. I panned him out and then I, I looked up and said, oh shit, I'm tackling Neil Best yeah. there. And then later on, there was a ball and I dived and I remember I just getting, I think, I think he might have might have booted me in the head or something. I remember I got a concussion anyway. Yeah, that was quite a short turnaround. Typically, um, Best, he would have received something, remembered it for like 12 months, 18 months and then get his own back. Oh, he, yeah, he got me in the game. He wellied yeah. me, wellied me. I'm glad I don't have to play against that guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, we were undercooked then, obviously going mm. into that World Cup. And then we got our pants pulled down, didn't we? Which was a disaster. And then the opposite then, played four games, lost four games, and then had a pretty good, went through the group stages really strongly Yeah. in 2011. But my head was in a different place going into 2011 because I was just thinking this, when I was playing against Scotland, I remember I turned around to Hayes and Horn. I said, this could be the last game of rugby I play. And they were looking at me as in like, stop whinging or stop being you know but I, I thought it might have been the last game of rugby and then got through the Scotland game lost and I was like oh okay yeah. well, I played a game and then England did we play England then and Wally mangled um, his knee th this 2011 yeah yeah England England France France yeah I, I can't remember who it was before that it was Scotland Scotland oh. England France France yeah I remember the, I remember the, yeah so I remember where my head was, was I was delighted to get through the games yeah. and I started to play a little bit better as, as, as the games, as, the, as it went on. I think we might, I think we might have played England last. Did we? Might have played England maybe, last. Maybe, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember we had, a, we, had a, we had a social after the English game and I'd got, I'd played, I'd played 50 minutes against England and hadn't torn my calf. And um, I remember we were out that night and we were having a few points and I remember Paulie, uh, Paulie came up to me and he was like, 
he was like, I'm so glad you're back now. And, I, and you know, because I felt like a worm watching everyone training during preseason. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I felt no value. And then he was like, it's, it's great to have you back. It's like getting this brilliant new player back. And, and he was like, it's going to be great for Munster as well. And I, I remember feeling 10 foot, you know, I was... Class. McConnell talks to you I was like that, steamed. Yeah. I was steamed at the time. But I remember going, and I, it never left me that, like, when people are long-term injured, doesn't no matter, like... People might have thought that I was confident walking around, but I was I was absolutely broken inside from being injured. And then when one of your peers says something like that to you, it gave me such a boost. And uh, I remember going up to Anna Falvey, then our doctor, and I said, I said, Falv, I think I'm back. He said, it's just scar tissue and stuff like that. And he goes, yeah, you're back, you're back. He said, it just took a bit of time. Oh, and then after the Australian game, I was like, mm, that was all wrong. Oh. <laughs> it was still there. But uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience to go out there and yeah. beat in Australia in that game was phenomenal. Yeah, those um, it just kind of shows you though the the I well, conclusion I'm coming to is that the warm up games, they don't they're not an indication of form really, because they're, they're 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 test matches right, but they're not the same. Once you get to World Cup, no, it was different. I'm not sure of the order of the games in 2007, but obviously this time around Ireland have to hit the ground running first game against Scotland, mm. so it's important they can start slowly. I think against Italy, um. So here's it. It's Italy, England, Wales, Wales, isn't it? Mm. Um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's obviously those two Wales games. I think they need to be hitting the ground running by the time they get to those two games back yeah. to back. Well, they, they want to have established that they're that the spine of the team is 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 fit and playing well, and then that they have a second layer below that that they're confident on, and then they ideally get them playing have them playing in the in the in the in the last Welsh game and then go to Scotland, get a result against Scotland and then they can kind of they can probably spread game time through the next couple of pool games and be prepped then for hopefully for a for a quarter, you know, yeah. dropping the group. Yeah. But um yeah, it's it's it, I'm looking forward to seeing what 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 comes of it, you know. I'm looking forward to seeing who puts their hand up because there's there's quite a few Predicting the thirty-one man squad is 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 generally a waste of time because someone's going to get mangled. So unfortunately, someone's going to yeah. get a bad injury. Yeah. Um, but it's to see who actually forces their way in because there's a, there's there's a few p- people on the tipping point. I think around two, and around fifteen, and then around the locks. I think that they're going to have decisions to make there. There, there's going to be a, a front row prop is going to be culled as well. I think, but I think that. I think that what what they what they do around the fifteen is going to be the most interesting thing for me. Yeah. 15 and 2 will be interesting. Okay, just so you know, we'll be recording our next episode on Sunday, the 11th, the day after the Italy game. Keep an eye out on your favourite apps, on YouTube, on your podcast store. And uh, also, don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a little bit of chat as well. Maybe in the Facebook group. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Okay, it's time for part three, and we're going to introduce a new feature that's going to be a regular in the show. It's called Black or White. Black and, and white, but keep going. Sorry, it's called black and white. Um, and uh, what we do basically is lift up these envelopes, blah, and uh, there'll be um, a statement in it. Um, I'll be black, Fla will be white. He's going to agree with his statement, and I'm going to disagree with it, and we're just going to have a little debate. Um, Pat, you're going to judge, is that right? Yep, I'm, I'm ready to judge. Okay. It's stick your money on England for the World Cup. I'm, I'm for this. So I have to give you reasons. I've got 60 seconds. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, 60 seconds. As to why England are going to win the World Cup. Well, straight off the bat, if you draw the same comparisons to South Africa, when they were divided black and white in 1995, 
they got they brought together a new leader. Uh, they elected Nelson Mandela, and then they went on and sport united the country. At the moment, Britain is in the shit with the Bre with Brexit. It's divided. They have uh, the, the places all over the place. So they've got their new charismatic leader is Boris Johnson, who can comb his hair, but he's going to help lead the country, and they're going to do it by sport. They're going to win the World Cup with England. Eddie Jones is going out there. His mum is Japanese. He's coached Jap. He's coached Japan. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> he's coached Japan. He's lived in Japan. He understands what's required to do out there. They got Joe Marler out of retirement. Um, the backbone of their team is pretty much made up out of out of the Saracen squad. You've got Matt. You've got Mako if he's fit. You've got Jamie George, Maro Atoje. You've got Billy Vanapola, Owen Farrell. So they know how to win. And they're going to go out to that World Cup and they're going to bring the country back together and they're going to, that's why you should put your money in England. Pretty convincing. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah, well, then I've won. I've won already. No, that was good, yeah. White I may as well just take a box here. Um, the, the Boris Johnson, Nelson Mandela comparison is just where you fall down, I think. Are you saying that... Um, uh, England wouldn't have won the World Listen, Cup with Theresa May. You 60 seconds. Uh, this is part you of my... 60 seconds. My defence is to tear down your attack. Okay, well, the clock is on, Pat. So, well, I didn't interrupt you when you were <laughs> talking about Nelson Mandela. you were asking Mandela me questions. And uh, Boris Becker, was about to say. Um, so, so you think that um, Boris Johnson's the key to England winning the World Cup? Um, Joe Marler, as a, as a side issue, um, he was retired up until recently, so he's come out of retirement. He's going to save the day. I can't see it. Um, sure, he's funny on podcasts, but can he lock down a scrum? <laughs> um, for me, no. I think England, they've blown it every chance they've got the last few years, and I think they're going to blow it again. Yes. Okay. Well done, lads. Uh, can my own personal bias come into, into the mix here? You're, you're national biased? Yeah. And I would just say, I don't think England are going <laughs> to win the World Cup anyway. So, uh, just although, Jerry, you argued that very well. Trimble gets the point again. Is there so you can just stick that on the leaderboard? Thanks for that. We didn't mention midget throwing, <laughs> of which they've learned their lessons. Okay, that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for listening and watching on all your favorite apps. Uh, from everyone at the House of Rugby, thanks for tuning in. Please um, get involved, subscribe, like, give us a review. Bad ones and good ones, both welcome. And uh, thanks to everyone involved in making the show, Ian. Fiona, Dermot, Pat and Anthony. This has been Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. You were listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.